Aren't you glad you can always run to Jesus, no matter what the situations are, the circumstances in life? He's always there. And you know what? He's always there with open arms waiting for you. All right, a couple of other things I forgot to mention. Um, December 12th, it's a Tuesday night, the Central New York Flute Choir will be here to do a concert for us. All right, um, so we're looking forward to that. 7 p.m., please use this as an opportunity to invite others to come out to church. Um, it's, it's simply a um, Christmas season kind of a concert. I don't think it's all Christmas music, but it will be kind of uh, focusing to some degree, get your minds thinking about the Christmas season. Uh, so come join us for that concert. If you have any questions, uh, Colleen's part of that group, so you can talk to her about it. Um, but you would, you would uh, do well to invite some friends and family members to come and be blessed by their music. They do a very good job, by the way. Um, we've had the opportunity to hear them practice. I don't know if I've heard them all practice at the same time. How many is in the group, Colleen? Okay, so that's going to that's gonna be quite the concert, quite the sound, all blending all of those uh, flutes together, different kinds of flutes as well. Um, so if you're only used to that, you know, that long silver one that Colleen plays sometimes, uh, come and see the different kind of flutes as well. Um, so that'd be a great time to be part of uh, a, a Christmas season concert, so to speak. And then we also have, we're hosting the uh, second edition of the NSTM, finishing up the classes on uh, uh, church uh, polity, church doctrine. Uh, ecclesiology is the, is the main course, and they're focusing on the Baptist distinctive. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'm sure you could come and sit in on some of that if you wanted to. All right. Okay, so we're going to pick up our study in Ephesians this morning. If you will, grab your copy of the scriptures and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we will find ourselves this morning, starting with verse 7. As we move into the text, I want to remind you that over the last couple of weeks, we've had the privilege of um, understanding and realizing how blessed we are, how wealthy we are, how rich we are in Christ. Now, I've reminded you again and again that we're not talking about physical or material blessings. We're talking about spiritual blessings that God has poured out on us. We are in no ways spiritual paupers, okay? We are children of the King. We have a wealth at our disposal that is beyond our wildest imaginations, and nothing in this world can compare to that wealth. Uh, we've talked a little bit uh, about how the Holy Spirit is now uh, indwelling in us. Uh, Vani mentioned that this morning already. But that's one of the gifts that God has given to us as his children, that the Spirit takes up residence in us. You know, as we read Scripture, the difference between you reading Scripture and an unbeliever reading Scripture, you know what the difference is? What's that? They don't get it. And you know why they don't get it? Because they don't got it. They don't have the Holy Spirit living within them to unlock the riches of Scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us understand the pages of Scripture as we, as we open up God's Word and we read it. The Holy Spirit is guiding us into understanding that. And that's a great blessing for you and I. Uh, someone once said, if, you don't, if you're reading God's Word and you don't understand, it's because it's like you're reading someone else's love letters. Okay? Um, God wrote this so that we would benefit from it and know how much he loves us. And that's what we're learning in this book of Ephesians. Um, so as we continue our study, we're moving on into this now. Uh, moving off of the, this is what you need to know, 
to this is how you need to live. Now that you know this stuff, now that you understand the depth and the wealth and the riches of what Christ has provided for you, you should live your life in such a way. Um, you, we, you see the title there, How Should I Live? Maybe we should add a word to that title and say, How Should I Now Live? Okay? Now that I know Christ as my Savior, now that I know all of the blessings that are mine, now that I know all that God has done for me and provided for me, how should that impact my life? How should I live my life? We're familiar with sports stars who, uh, you know, lots of times, <coughs> if, you, if you grew up cheering for a particular team, uh, and then you get to go and play for that team. And they'll say, man, it's been my lifelong dream to play for such and such a team. I've, I've rooted for them all my life. So-and-so was my favorite star while I was growing up. And, and now I have the privilege of playing for this team. And sometimes it, may <coughs> excuse me, it makes you think that they've been longing for the opportunity to play on that particular team. And they're going to give it their all. They're going to give it their best. Well... We have the opportunity to be on Team Jesus. How blessed is that? How, how significant is that that you and I have the opportunity to be on Jesus' team and he is our captain, he's our coach. The whole theme of the book of, the, of Ephesians is Jesus, the head of the church, the church, his body, and we are now serving and living for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of those guys that play sports and, and ladies even as well, you know what? They give their whole life for that team. How much more should you and I give our life for the cause of Christ? Serving him and allowing him to receive the glory for the things that are accomplished in our lives. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. Our text comes from the book that was written by a man who called himself an apostle born out of due time. Okay? In other words, he wasn't one of the 12 that Jesus called in his earthly ministry. The Apostle Paul was saved after Jesus returned to heaven and at the beginning of the church age. So he was one who didn't kind of get the official training that the 12 got, but instead he got some special training from Jesus Christ himself. He was used of God, this man named Paul, was used of God to write nearly half of the New Testament, okay? We hold in our hands a copy of the scriptures that God has ordained for us to live life by, and we in the church, we kind of tend to gravitate toward this New Testament part of the book, which is very, very small part of the entire scriptures. This is what it is, and we, <coughs> excuse me, I thought I was over this cough, anyway, we look at this New Testament, we say, that's our book, that's our part of the Bible. Don't ever get trapped into that thought, because God has the entire scriptures uh, that he has preserved for us, and he wants us to learn from that, he wants us to grow from that, he wants us to understand uh, from the Old Testament the things that were fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament, and the promises of the church, even in the Old Testament, it's there, you can find it. Okay, so we have at our disposal the entire 66 books, we, you know what, here's the thing, here's the thing, we have all that God wants us to have to know how to live life and serve him effectively. And it's all in the book. It's all in the word of God. And so as we allow the Holy Spirit to teach us and, and help us learn this book, what a blessing it is. He's equipped us to serve him. 
And as the body of Christ, we want to serve him well. This book, Ephesians, deals with a great deal of how wealthy we are, how important it is for us to understand that God has equipped us. God has given us all that we need. Here we read in Ephesians chapter 4, <coughs> sorry, that Paul is a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begs us, we saw in verse 1, to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I want to read some comments from a guy by the name of Bruce Wilkinson. Uh, he's the guy who founded Walk Through the Bible. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. It's a, very, it's a, it's a, it's a cool ministry. We actually hosted a Walk Through the Bible seminar in our church in South Africa. And, and what they do is they, they teach you the whole scope of the Bible from Genesis. Well, they do it in two. They do the New Testament. They do the Old Testament. So they teach you from Genesis to Malachi, all kinds of hand motions that go with it. And just uh, boil it all down into a nice little package for us to understand <coughs> I thought I had some cough drops, but I guess I'm looking for them, and they're not where I thought I put them. So anyway, um, you can just say a quick prayer that this cough would be over and not continue to be the problem that I, ah, I found them. There they are. All right. So Wilkinson says this. <clears throat> the theme of the book of Ephesians is the believer's responsibility to walk in accordance with his heavenly calling in Christ Jesus. Ephesians was not written to, the correct, to correct specific errors in a local church like Paul did to several other churches. He wrote to correct problems and answer questions. Ephesians was not written for that kind of purpose, but to prevent problems in the church as a whole by encouraging the body of Christ to mature in him. It was also written to make believers more aware of their position in Christ because this is the basis for their practice of every level of life. Did you catch that? Paul's not writing to say, hey, you're doing this wrong. Stop doing this. You need to, you need to fix this problem in your life. You need to fix this problem in the church. Paul is writing to say, hey, this is how we live, this is how we serve, this is what we need to understand to help us have the right mindset as we move forward for serving our great God. It was written to make believers more aware of their position in Christ and to help them re remember that this is the reason why we live life. This is how we serve God on every level of life. You see, Christianity is not meant to impact your life on Sundays or on Wednesdays or Tuesdays or Saturday morning when we have official gatherings of the church body, we are to live life as a Christian. God and the Bible and the things we believe, Christianity is supposed to impact us every day of our lives. It's to make a difference as we do life, whether it's at work, whether it's with family, whether it's at school, no matter where you are, Christianity should be impacting your life. So, let me ask that question again. How should I now live? 24-7 <coughs> for Jesus Christ. In order to uh, continue thinking about the blessings that we have, Paul shows us how bad we were. Okay, That's what Ephesians chapter 4, first part of verses 17 through 25 are all about. How bad we were. The old man 
This is what you were, Paul says, and this is now what you are. We're not going to stay with how bad we are. In fact, we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. If you look at your notes, you'll see that there's a very short amount of space given to the how bad we were, and there's a lot more space given to how, who we are now in Christ. But let's first of all start by reading together Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. Would you stand with me as we read together? Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you see the contrast in that from verses 17 through 19 to verses 20 through 24? What a, what a difference. How is that difference manifested? It's because the Lord has given us the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us into a right relationship with him. Thanks, Steve. You may be seated. We're going to ask God to bless our time together in his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege of gathering together as your children. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Father, we hold in our hands the word of God that you have preserved down through the ages, that that book that is different than any other book that has ever been written. It is a living word. It is your word to us. And as we submit to your Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we understand the power of this book. We understand that it is the book, the word of God, that allows us to learn more about our Savior, how he lived, what he did, and to emulate his life in our own lives. So, Father, as we spend time together this morning looking at one of the books in, in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, we ask that you would encourage us to allow your spirit to just take this word and implant it deep into our hearts and help it to make a difference as we leave this place this morning and move on throughout the week as, in serving you and reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask this in our Savior's name. Amen. Thank you. All right, so as we look at the ways of the old man... Verses 17 through 19, this is uh, the, the conversation, the, the manner of living of the old man. First of all, we see his identity. Uh, Paul wants us to understand who he's talking about, who we are reading about, and who we actually were before we came to know Jesus as our Savior. The commentary that Paul gives us here is about the unbeliever. And, and you know what? It doesn't paint a pretty picture. Hollywood does a pretty good job of dressing up the world and making you think, oh, you know, I, I kind of like that. I, I, that's pretty cool. I, I kind of don't, that, that would be nice to, it dresses it all up, paints a pretty picture of what the world is. Paul sets the record straight here. He wants us to understand how bad 
we were before knowing Christ. And you might say to yourself, I wasn't that bad. I didn't do this and I didn't do that. Well, but for the grace of God. Because we all could have been as bad as what this paints here. I also want you to understand that it's not even necessarily how many bad things you did before you knew Christ as your Savior. The very fact that you did just one bad thing is enough to separate you from God and send you to hell for all of eternity. So praise God and thank you for cleansing me from however many sinful deeds I committed in my life before I knew Christ. So the identity of this old man is seen in a couple of ways. First of all, we see in, in the fact that he has no purpose. Okay, uh, Paul describes it this way. He says, in the futility of their minds. That word futility, it's an interesting word. It shows that there is no useful aim in life. There's no purposeful goals that have been set for the unbeliever. It's almost as though they live life for the here and now and not for the future. And you know why? Because that's what they do. They live life for the here and the now, for the present, and they're not concerned about the future. And here's how we know that, because they don't want to talk about the future. They don't want to talk about where they're going to spend eternity. That's why so many religious systems end with your death. They don't talk about where you'll spend eternity, because they don't have any answers for that. There's no solutions. The unbeliever has no desire to know about the future because it's very bleak. It's in hell, separated from God for all of eternity. And you know what? There's no hope there. So what do they do? They make jokes about it. They, you know, when I was growing up, I remember people saying, hey, you, you can just go to you know where. And you know what the response was? I've been there. I got kicked out for selling ice cubes. Or that's okay because that's where all my friends are going to be. You won't know your friends. You won't even see them. We, talk, we think a lot about the flames of hell. There's the, also the, the brimstone that will be burning eternally. And the, the heavy, deep smoke that that puts off. You, you won't see anything in hell. It will just be a suffering uh, of being apart from, apart from Christ for all of eternity. And the flames of hell will never consume you. You would wish that they would but they won't. You see, there's no purpose. They have no goals in life. For those, for those in, uh, that have studied and enjoy and appreciate the book of Romans, um, you might know what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. And this is a commentary that's, if you read Romans chapter 1, you might think that Paul was writing in 2023, okay? He was writing way back uh, at the beginning of the church, but he writes this, and it sounds a lot like today. It's the consequences of those who refuse to accept Christ as their Savior. Romans 1.21, Paul says this, Because although they knew God, or they knew about God, they knew that there was a God. You, you know, you can't help but know there is a God when you look around and you see the beauty of his creation. You see the providence all around us of God at work. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful, but became futile in their minds. There's that, there's that word futile again. They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Because the fool has said what? There is no God. 
He's accepted the darkness that is around him. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 1 that they, and again, it sounds just like today, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Does that not sound like today's commentary on today's society? As a result, we saw that God gave them over to a depraved mind or a debauched thought process. Paul describes it here in Ephesians as having their understanding darkened. The word darkened here describes the condition of those who have not yet seen the light concerning Jesus. Jesus called himself the light, didn't he? I am the light of the world, John chapter 1. Um, And as is the case here in Ephesians chapter 4, those who deliberately turn away from the light, or they turn away from Jesus. That's who those who are darkness, they don't want anything to do with the light. Doesn't it break your heart when you share with individuals how to come out of the darkness and into the light, and they don't want anything to do with it? But, But can I encourage you, don't quit. Don't stop trying to lead them out of darkness. You do your part and you leave the rest up to the Lord because he's the one who can only lead them out of darkness. So there's no purpose in their life. There's also no place of belonging for them. Paul says that they are alienated from the life of God. And this is the result of having their understanding darkened. They are separated from God. And Paul gives two reasons for that separation. We see, first of all, of the ignorance that is in them. It's it's there because they choose to have nothing to do with God. As we already referenced, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, where it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter what the fool says. The truth is, there is a God. That's absolute. And the other part of that truth is that Everyone will give an account to that God. Everyone will stand before the one true God. You know, I've probably used this illustration before, that when you were, when we had just had our grandkids over, uh, and we made pizza, so the oven was on and it was hot, and uh, we're getting ready to open up the oven door, and one of the grandkids comes running. Whoa, 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 stay back, stay back, it's hot. Oh, but it's not too hot. Yeah, it is. We were, at, we were at Josh and Katie's for Thanksgiving, and we were making mashed potatoes. I had a big pot of potatoes and boiling water, and I went to pick up the pot of boiling water. I looked to make sure the path between the stove and the sink was clear. You know, they're very quick, these kids are. I picked up the pot of water, and I turned, and as I turned, Thea was standing right there. And I go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Sorry, sweetie, you have to get away from Grandpa, because all she wanted to do was come give Grandpa a hug. Sorry, you have to get away from Grandpa because the water's hot and I want to spill on you. Believe me, I got my hug afterwards. Um, But anyway, you know, no matter what they think, oh, it can't be that bad. It's not that hot. You know what? It's hot. Regardless of what they think, you know, it doesn't matter what they say. Whether they deny the truth or not, the truth is the pot is hot. The stove burner is hot. The oven is hot. If you touch it, you will burn yourself. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Yes, there is. There is a God, and you and I and everyone else will stand before him. Don't you want to be right with God before that day comes? 
Yes, you do. Because once you stand before him, there's no going back. The words that he will say to you when you stand before him, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, they will echo throughout eternity, and those words are, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. You don't want to hear those words. You want to deal with eternity now while there still is time. You want to have a place where you belong. You want to have a place in heaven reserved for you. There's no place of belonging for the unbeliever. Um, We also see that the blindness of their hearts is is very real. Verse 21 of Romans chapter 1 again says, They became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They couldn't see through the darkness. We talked earlier about how dark it seems at 5 o'clock. That darkness is nothing compared to the darkness of hell. I, I was never an advocate of daylight savings time. I mean, I didn't not, maybe sometimes I didn't want it, but um, until I started riding on the bus and driving bus. At seven o'clock pre-daylight savings time in September, you can't see where those kids are. You trust the headlights on your bus to shine up the, the light where they might be standing or where they're supposed to be standing. It's dark. I remember looking out the window of the bus and saying, wow, it is really, really dark out there. And then, after we turned our clocks back, it was amazing. Seven o'clock, you could see everything. It was light. What a difference. What a difference it is in the child of God <clears throat> who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they've stepped out of the darkness into the light. It's an amazing thing. The blindness of their hearts is real. The futility of their hearts and their thinking process is because of a choice that they made. A choice that they made to not glorify God. To not be thankful to God for all that he has done. All that he has made available. When man chooses to neglect God and to live in sin, the results are devastating. In fact, they're deadly. And we're not just talking about physical death, we're talking about spiritual death. So not only is he uh, full of darkness and his mind is, is, is dark and, and blind, that's his identity, but we also see his inclination, his bent, if you will. Not only does the sinner choose to reject God, but he continues to make bad choices. You see, the old man, he's futile in his mind, he's separated from God, he is past feeling, and he's given himself over to do certain things. He he is, his inclination is to go away from things that are true and right. This phrase where it says here in Ephesians chapter 4, he is past feeling, it means he's become calloused. We all know people who work really, really hard and they work with their hands. And, and when they work hard and they work with their hands, you know what they end up getting on their hands? First they come in the form of what? Blisters. And then you keep getting blisters and eventually you stop getting blisters and you get what's called calluses your heart your hands have become used to that kind of heavy hard labor and 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 before you know it you're holding on to stuff you're ripping on stuff you're pulling on stuff and it doesn't hurt anymore why because your hands have become calloused that's a good thing if you're a hard-working farmer or mechanic or something like that where you work every day with your hands But to have your heart calloused, that's a bad thing. 
Paul says their hearts, they become past feeling. They're callous. They're spiritually callous. MacArthur makes this comment. He gives this description. When people continue in sin and turn themselves away from the life of God, they become, get this, they become apathetic, insensitive about moral and spiritual things. They reject all standards of righteousness and do not care about the consequences of their unrighteous thoughts and actions. Even conscience becomes scarred with tissue that is not sensitive to wrong. Uh, We won't ask for names, but we probably all know people who are like that, right? We probably all work with people who are like that, and they tell the jokes that we don't want to listen to, and they tell stories that we don't want to hear, and they use language that is not appropriate. They reject all standards of righteousness. Why? Because that's their bent. He goes on to describe some of the behavior that they're caught up in. Take note of what kind of life they live after this happens, after one who has, after one has become spiritually callous. Paul says that they're, they live in, in this mindset, this attitude, this lifestyle of lewdness. Lewdness. This, in the King James, this word is translated lasciviousness. Now, that might sound like a, an old uh, King Arthur roundtable time frame of something that's good, but it's not good. Lasciviousness. The New King James uses the word, the word lewdness. The NIV and the NAS simply call it sensuality. All those words basically mean the same thing. They mean, they mean the absence of all moral restraint, especially in the areas of sexual sins, One commentator says the term relates to a disposition of the soul incapable of bearing the pain of discipline. The idea is that unbridled self-indulgence and undisciplined obscenity. That sounds really bad, doesn't it? But that's what they've given themselves over to. It's what they've chosen as a lifestyle. Paul goes on to say that they've given themselves over to work all uncleanness. It doesn't stop with the idea of sensuality. It becomes much worse from pornography to suggestive TV programs to X-rated movies. It's all being promoted unashamedly today. Look at this. Watch this. Listen to this. And then when they're confronted with, oh, it's just a song. It's just a movie. Can I tell you this? What you subject your mind to, what you listen to again and again and again is going to impact who you are. It's going to affect the way you live life. So he says they've given themselves over to uncleanness. The internet. I mean, listen, I like the internet. It lets me keep up with all kinds of things. But there's a bad side to the internet as well. It opens up the door to so many things that we ought not to be interested in and and looking at and and be concerned with. It's not just the impure things that come through our eye gate. It includes the things that people use to abuse their body. You know what happened in our state this year? They legalized the use of marijuana. Oh, come on, pastor, it's just weed. It's so much more than that. It's natural. 
Yeah, I suppose if it was used only for the natural healing, perhaps possibilities, it might be okay. But it's not just used for that. It's a gateway. It opens up the door for so many other things because when you stop feeling that feeling that you get when you smoked a, a joint, you want something else. You want something in your thought process better because your thought process has been given over. You know, and you don't stop with the next thing either because eventually that doesn't do it anymore either. So you go on to the next and the next and the next. And yet there's people who say we should just legalize it all because it's a form of revenue. They've been given over to that same debauched thought process. It's not about the revenue. It's about the lifestyle. It's about what it does to a person and to others around them. It's sin. And we need to call sin what it is. Sin is sin, and we can't excuse it away. These are the kinds of things that Paul's talking about when he uses the word uncleanness and impurities. And not only do they do these things, but it says here, they do them with greediness. They do them with greediness. I've already mentioned the argument that they use to legalize these unclean and impure things. Look at how much money can be made if we legalize it, if we regulate the industry. There's places popping up all over the place that you can go buy marijuana because it's legal. And we're getting an income from it. In Colossians, Paul equates this kind of lifestyle with idolatry. We're not worshiping an idol carved out of stone or wood, but we're worshiping the stuff that goes along with it. Self and indulgence and all that kind of stuff. It's just wrong and we need to be thankful that God has delivered us from that lifestyle, that lifestyle of the old man. Now, we're going to move on. We're going to look at the new man. As we change gears, I want to challenge anyone here today who may still be living like the old man. Pay close attention to how you could live if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I love verse 20. Let's read it together. If you have it there with you uh, in your copy of the scriptures, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. Let's read that again. In fact, just the first, just the first line. Timothy's got it up on the screen for us. Read it. But you have not so learned Christ. What is it that delivers us from the old man? Christ. And, and as we grow in our walk, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we learn more and more and more about Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to learn about Christ. And not just to learn about him, but to let him live and rule in our hearts and in our lives. We see now the walk of the new man, the contrast between the ways of the old man and the walk of the new man. Now, I have to apologize. If you're keeping close track of your notes, you'll notice that I messed up the outline. And as I was going back through it, I thought, oh, underneath the two, there should be what? An A, not a letter. My wife would laugh at that if she were here this morning. Um, so you're going to have to bear with the, the numbering error in the outline. But the walk of the new man, there are three things that characterize the walk of the new man. Uh, and, and it characterizes our learning with, with regard to Christ. Three things that help us understand who we are in Jesus Christ. What are those three things? Well, first of all, we see that we are grounded in Jesus. Paul says, if indeed you have heard him. Now, this hearing is not simply going through this ear and coming out this ear. 
It's not even just a hearing and maybe processing a little bit of it. In fact, it is hearing it and responding to it. How many times have you told your children on the bus, I say, hey, you can't do that, and they keep right on doing it. Hey, you need to stop that, and they keep right on doing it. Hey, don't do that. It doesn't always work. It's not because they don't hear me saying it. It's because they don't want to do what they're supposed to do, or they want to keep on doing what they're not supposed to be doing. So when they don't listen, there are consequences. But Paul says, if indeed you have heard him, if you've listened to the teachings of Jesus Christ, if you've responded to the teachings of Jesus Christ, if you are allowing the teachings of Christ to change your life, means you're learning Christ. Because you've learned Christ, you are been grounded in Jesus Christ. The hymn, when it says, indeed you have heard him, is, is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. The subject of our learning is Christ. And we believe that Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the only means by which we can have the old man washed away and removed. Not completely. We still have that old nature and we struggle with it. We battle with it. But someday, when we see Jesus face to face, that old nature is going to be gone. And we'll become like him because we'll see him as he is. But what we believe and teach must have its roots in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The one who came to seek and to save the lost. The one who came to fulfill the law. And the one who pleased his Father in everything that he did and everything that he said. It is the one that we are busy making disciples of. When, jo- when Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We're teaching them about Jesus. Psalm 40, uh, we talked a little bit, Bonnie and I, about Psalms. Do they really apply to us because they were written in the Old Testament? Yes, they do. Psalm 40, verse 7 says, Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. Who's it written about? Jesus quoted this in the, book, in the Gospel of Luke, didn't he? When he was in the temple in, or in the synagogue in Nazareth. In Nazareth he said, in the, in the middle of the book, it's all about me. It's all about Jesus. It's all about who? It's all about the Messiah, the promised one, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We read about it after the resurrection of Jesus in Luke 24, verse 27, where Jesus was walking down the Emmaus road, and he told the two of them, uh, and he began the beginning of Moses, and he explained to them Moses and the prophets. He expounded to them all the scriptures on all the things concerning himself, because it's all about him. The very existence of the new man centers in Jesus Christ and nothing else, and no one else. It's only Jesus. So my friends, the walk of the new man is, first of all, seen in the fact that we're grounded in Christ. We also see from our text this morning that we're growing in confidence in Christ. Paul says, having been taught by him. It actually should say, having been taught in him, not by him. That makes a little bit of a difference. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Is the redemption in anyone else in anything other than Jesus? No, you can shake your head. There is only redemption in Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, a very great and very powerful verse says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are what? In Christ Jesus. You see, the in is, is important there. It's not just by him, it's in him. We must dwell in him, we must live in him, we must find our being in Jesus. Being in him means that we are in a union with Christ, and as a result of that union, we are now confident that we stand rightly before the Father through his work on the cross of Calvary. We are in Jesus. Grounded in Christ gives us confidence in living for him. We also see here the gravity of our teaching. Paul says, our teaching is truth. We touched on this earlier when people will look at that and say, oh, that's not really true. That's not actually quite right. Yeah, yeah it is. It's absolutely true. It's absolutely right. And this is why. Because it is grounded in Jesus Christ. Our teaching is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. This truth is what we call absolute truth. And can I tell you this? This truth is all-encompassing. The, the New Testament commentary says this, the truth that is in Jesus then is first of all the truth about salvation. It starts there with salvation. The truth is, <clears throat> excuse me, is in Jesus. It also leads to the fullness of truth about God. That's good, right? You want to know, know as much as you can about God. It leads to the fullness of truth about God, man, creation, History, or can we say his story, history, sin, righteousness, grace, faith, salvation, life, death, purpose, meaning, relationships, heaven, hell, judgment, eternity, and everything else of ultimate consequence. Can I tell you this? There is nothing important outside of Jesus Christ. And when we, are, we have our hearts set on following him and following the truth of his word, there, that, will Im, that will impact everything in life. Our, the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of scripture is all-encompassing. That's pretty significant as we do life. So you learn the characterization of our great truth that we are learning from. We also see the course of, of our learning. Paul uses wording that would make us think that our mor- of our morning routine. When we get up and get ready, uh, we get the first thing we do, we get we get, you know, well maybe we take a shower. Not always, you don't always take a shower first thing, right? Um, but but you get up and you have a routine. And and you, and you do certain things. When you get out of bed, you, before you can really start your day, and I don't know, maybe this has changed. I just thought of this, just came into my mind. Normally, it used to be, let's use that phrase, used to be when you would go to work or go to the store, people were all ready for the day. Now they still go, they go in their pajamas. I, I still can't wrap my mind around that. You walk into Walmart and people are there in their pajamas and their slippers. And I'm like, man, put your clothes on and get ready for the day before you go out. 
I don't know if I'm talking about any of that to you guys, but please, don't go to the store in your pajamas. You know, when we get up and we get ready for the day, we take off whatever we were wearing at bedtime, and we get in the shower, or if we don't get in the shower, we put on stuff that's suitable for the day. And we go out, and we do the things that we need to do in the day, because we've done what was necessary to make yourself presentable to go out and see people. Paul talking about that. Put off and put on. You see the process of our journey here. The believer must put off the old man. It's like taking off your pajamas or your sleeping clothes. There was a time when people grew I was before my time, people used to wear hats when they went to bed. What's that? Isn't there a Christmas song that talks about... Um, uh, Ma and her kerchief and dad and his cap. Yeah. Um, all settled down for a long winter's nap. They weren't ready to go out and do anything, right? They were staying home. Paul says, put off the old man. You take off your pajamas, you take off your sleeping clothes, you get ready for the day. <sighs> Again, I have written in my notes here, would you want to go through the day meeting people and conducting business with those kinds of clothes on? No, you shouldn't. Maybe that's an indication. I won't even say. It's a decision we make, though, in the morning, isn't it? We get up, we get ready to face the day. And we get dressed and we go out and we do what we have to do. Also, the course of our learning, there's a, there's a progress that, makes, that takes place in our learning. We don't stay where we once were. We should be growing and learning and, and, and taking the word of God and putting it into practice in life. You should be different today than you were, uh, okay, I'll say a week ago or a month ago. Uh, ideally, it's a daily growth, okay? Uh, but sometimes it, it takes us a little bit of time to process what we learned in the morning or throughout the day and, and then adjust our lives because of what we've learned in the scriptures. But there's progress that's going on. I think it's kind of like getting ready for the day, as I said. You take a shower so you'll be clean and fresh to start the day. There's nothing better on a cold winter morning. Boy, I'm so thankful that our furnace is fixed. Okay? Um, there's nothing better on a cold winter morning than jumping into a nice warm shower. It kind of invigorates you for the day. Now, as a child of God, we should want to cleanse our mind with the word of God as we start our day. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12. You know it. You probably could quote it. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you. I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your, we often use that word reasonable, but you know what the word reasonable means? Which is your spiritual worship. So, Pastor, don't we worship on Sunday morning when we sing songs? I keep telling you, there is so much more to worship than singing songs. The end of verse 1 of Romans 12 says, I, to present your bodies a living sacrifice because that is your spiritual worship to God. Verse 2 goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed 
by the renewal of your mind that you may prove or that by testing you may be able to discern what God's will is for your life. And God's will is always good. It's always acceptable. And it's perfect. God's will for your life. You see, that's how we know we're making progress. If we're taking God's word and putting it into practice in our lives. So as we progress in this journey, we want to understand that there's a plan on the journey. Like, like we sat down a couple of, um, at least a month ago, to plan out our journey to Colorado. There was a hiccup thrown in there when Barb says, hey, I think I need to go see my parents for Thanksgiving. So we had to adjust our plan a little bit. But, but she bought, so she got her tickets to leave early, and, and then we looked and we looked and we looked. How can we make a connection somewhere between before we get to Denver. So we found the tickets that we could, she could, she could go from Peoria to Chicago and I could go from Syracuse to Chicago. And can we, we can meet. Uh, she's got a lot more time to, to get to Chicago than I do. I have an hour once I get off the plane, less than an hour once I get off the plane in Chicago to meet up with her to go on to Denver. I said, make sure you have my itinerary so you can show it to the flight people so, that, so you save a spot for me. All right, so because, so, you know, that time of year, this time of year, you can always run late. I don't want to run late and miss my plane. Tell them I'm coming, all right? But the plan is to meet up in Chicago and then to go on to Denver. And because we're, we're working on two separate itineraries here, we now need to find tickets that we can leave Denver at the same time and fly together back to, of all places, we're going through Charlotte before we come back to Syracuse. All right, so we got this all planned out, and, and, and hopefully it's going to work all according to plan. Paul says there's a plan to complete the journey for you as a child of God. You've put off the old man, that's the first step you must take, and now you must put on the new man. He doesn't just mean a cleaned up version of the old man, he means a completely new creature, say, Pastor, how do you know that? Well, what does it say over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? You know it. You've heard it before. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what is he? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For making me a new creature in Christ. Let me point out to you here that the putting off and the putting on were events that happened at salvation. Okay? Paul is reminding the Ephesian believers of that fact. You were saved. When you got saved, you put off the old and you put on the new. But you need to live like you've put on the new man. You need to live like you are in Christ. This one-time act is, is in relation to our position in Christ. The renewing of your mind, though, is a continual act. Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed. Why? Because God wants you to prove what is good and acceptable in your life. 
Here's some thoughts about the renewing of your mind. It goes like this. The Holy Spirit, here we go again, the Holy Spirit achieves this transformation by the renewing of the mind. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is what is needed to renew your minds. The Holy Spirit is an essential and repeated New Testament theme. The outward transformation is affected by the inner change in the mind and the Spirit's means of transforming our minds in the Word. The Holy Spirit uses the Word to transform our minds. David testified, it said it this way, Thy, here it is, Thy Word I have treasured in my heart. We memorized it this way, Thy Word have I Hid in my heart. What's the result of letting God's word dwell in your heart and live in your heart? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. Are you struggling with sin? Put God's word in your heart, in your mind, and you won't struggle so much. It's a must. It's a necessary thing. Hide God's word in your heart. You see, God's own word is the instrument that his Holy Spirit uses to renew our minds, which in turn is used to transform our living. What it boils down to, the word of God in our hearts and in our minds. So the spirit, I understand the spirit is God, and the spirit, and God can do whatever he wants. But you know what? If there's something in our minds to work with, it makes the Spirit's job a bit easier. Put God's Word in my heart and in my mind so I don't sin. And you know what? When you do sin, you know what? That Word comes back to your mind and to your heart and says, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. I know. And then we say, we confess our sins. And God forgives us of those sins. You see, we understand that there's a plan to complete the journey. It doesn't just happen. Well, how does our learning come to an end? The consummation, if you will, of our learning. The new man is created according to God. The old man is the flesh. The new man is created according to God. And we see here that this new man is created in righteousness. I want you to understand that our, this has, a, has to deal with our human relationships in righteousness means, it's talking about our human relationships, our relationships with others, how we are to treat our fellow human beings. You see, the old man knew nothing of true righteousness. The old man only cared about one person. You know who the old man cared about, right? Yeah, me, myself, and I. That's who the old man cared about. Whatever was good for me, whatever worked for me, whatever was best for me. You see, the old man was full of darkness. He was ignorant. He was callous. He was impure. He was greedy. We learned that about the old man. But now he's been changed. He's been brought into the light. And you know what it says here? He's learned truth. He's learned Jesus. And as one learns Jesus, you know what happens to the old man? He becomes sensitive to sin. Doesn't want to do it. Doesn't want to live there. He has also become pure because of the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ over his life. He's also become generous. He's not greedy anymore. He's willing to give. You and I demonstrate these Christ-like qualities in life. And we allow God to use us for his honor and for his glory in the lives of others. Can I tell you this? God didn't save us. 
to be couch potatoes. God didn't save us to, to be pew warmers. God saved us to be active in serving Him. To be servants of the Most High God. Because if all He was going to do is save us and, and, and save us just from hell, He would take us home the minute we got saved. But He leaves us to be useful in the lives of others. So that others may come to know Jesus as their Savior as well. So we have this idea of the human relationship when he says in righteousness the new man is created in righteousness and then he goes on to say and in true holiness this has to do with our heavenly relationships this has to do with the relationship that we have with God and with Christ and with the Holy Spirit it's the way we live life as a result of the change that has been brought about in our hearts and in our soul. Since we've been reconciled, we are no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer enemies of Jesus. We are on, as I said before, Jesus' team. We're on Team Jesus. I don't don't watch it very often. Every time, once in a while, I'm going through the channels, and you see this program called The Voice on it, on TV. And, oh man, I want to be on Team Blake. Or I want to be on Team, I don't even know who they are anymore. Um, Team so-and-so. No, man, we want to be on Team Jesus. Because that's the one who makes eternal differences. He's not so concerned about what your voice sounds like because when you get to heaven, we're all going to have the voice of angels. Amen to that. You and I, we want to serve our Heavenly Father. We want our lives to reflect His glory and His honor. This holiness is also part of our worship of our one true God. It allows us to worship Him more fully. You see, I got to a point in my life where I didn't really care what my voice sounded like anymore. Because I wanted to worship God. And God's not worship, worried about the quality of your voice. He's, worshiped, he's, worried, he's concerned about the fact that you're making a joyful noise to Him. And that joyful noise only comes because you know who you are and who you belong to. MacArthur makes this, commenta- this comment on his, on, in his commentary on Ephesians. He says, many rescue missions have a de-lousing room. He says, That's gross. no. It's good. It's important. They have a de-lousing room where derelicts who have not had a bath in months discard all their old clothes and are thoroughly bathed and disinfected. The, the unsalvageable old clothes are burned and new clothes are issued. The clean man has provided clean clothes. That's a picture of salvation. Except that in salvation, the new believer is not simply given a bath, but a completely new nature. The continuing need of the Christian life is to keep discarding and burning the remnants of the old sinful clothing. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, Paul pleads, but present your body, yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. That's Romans chapter 6. We want to present ourselves as tools that God's use, that God uses to demonstrate His righteousness to others. What a great trans, transformation that has taken place in our lives from then to now. This is what I was, this is what I am, to God be the glory. Paul has offered for us the difference, or outlined for us the difference of the old man and the new man. He's reminded us that those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are indeed new creatures. The old has passed away. We also admits here that we will struggle in our walk with the Lord. 
And the old man will rear his ugly head from time to time. You battle with that? You struggle with that? Yeah, you do. Just be honest. It's a struggle. We struggle with the old man and, and, and the thoughts and the things that, the, that we used to do. And how we need to stop doing those and flee from them and start doing what is right. You know, you, the only way to do that is, is the process of substitution. You take out the old, you don't just leave it out because if you just leave the hole there, you leave the void there, something's going to fill that. So intentionally we take out the old and we put in something good, something, something new, something right, something that honors God. We feed on the word and by feeding on the word we are strengthening the new man day by day. I probably told you this before, as man was struggling in his walk and, and he's like, man, I don't, I don't understand why I keep doing the things that I don't want to do I, and, and I don't do the things that I do. And, and this old man said, it's like two dogs. What do you mean two dogs? It's like two dogs. You see, you have, you have two dogs. One dog, he's mean. He's just, just a mean dog. And you have this other dog who's, who's, who's a nice dog. And sometimes the mean dog and the nice dog, they get into a fight. Which dog wins? Well, whatever dog you're feeding the most. Whatever dog is stronger. The stronger dog is going to win the fight. doesn't matter whether it's mean or nice. The stronger dog is going to win the fight. And the old man says, you're struggling so much because you're, feed, you're still feeding the old man. You're still giving him the things that allow him to be sustained in life. You need to stop feeding the old man and he'll feed the new man. And the new man gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And then when the, you have that conflict in your mind and in your heart, and you, it, Satan is tempting you, and you, you, you think, man, I could give in. No. If you're not feeding that man, you're not, he's not, the temptation is going to be strong. But if you're feeding Christ by reading the Word of God, by studying the Word of God, by, yes, and I'm going to say it, coming to church, and not just on Sunday mornings. You come when you can. You come every time you can because we spend time in God's word. We don't neglect the assembling of ourselves together. But we come and we enjoy fellowship. We enjoy learning God's word. And we enjoy taking that and putting it into practice in our lives. We feed on the word. We strengthen the new man. And as we strengthen the new man, that walk if walk with Christ is so much sweeter, it's so much more evident to those we come in contact with. My life begins to reflect the new nature. I begin to look a lot more like Jesus than what I did when I lived in the old man. We'll look at that more in the weeks to come, but this morning we're going to finish by concentrating on whether or not I've put off the old man and put on the new man. I'm focused on who I'm feeding, which man am I feeding most, the old man or the new man. If you put off the old man, but don't, don't keep putting on the dirty clothes. I remember a pastor one time giving an illustration about, he says, you know what, when I take a shower, I never get out of the shower and put on my dirty underwear. That's kind of disgusting, isn't it? Yuck, why would you do that? You gotta get the clean stuff out of the drawer and put that on. You and I have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We've put off the old man. 
Let's put on the new man. Let's feed the new man. Let's live like we put on the new man. So now's a good time for us to pause and examine our lives before the Lord and, and ask him if there's some clothes I need to get rid of. I need to just burn them in the, in the, in the, in the ash pile and, and not have anything to do with them anymore. And, and what can I put on to replace those dirty old clothes that belong in the rubbish? Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we come before you this morning. We thank you so much for the word of God. Lord, it's transforming. And, and not only do you, have you given us your word, but you've given us your spirit. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And Father, as we read your word, the Holy Spirit then takes that word and it begins to uh, filter it through our lives. And it makes us more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. It helps us know how to respond and, and how to act in certain situations. So Father, thank you so much for the gifts that you have blessed us with. Father, we ask that you'd help us as we leave this place this morning that we would think about where we are in our walk with you. The fact that we put off the old man and every morning we want to put on the new man. We want to spend time refreshing ourselves in spiritual things and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us and use us for your honor and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.